Do you dread tax time because you haven't saved enough for taxes? Are you totally confused and lost about your business finances? Do you worry that you'll never be able to retire or save for your kid's college education? If you bury your head in the sand because you think you'll never be a money person, I want to let you in on a huge secret. All you need to manage your private practice finances are a simple series of skills that you can learn. After all, you already did the hard work of graduating from college, becoming a therapist, and starting your private practice. Hi, I'm Lindsay Bonham. I'm a therapist turned money coach and the creator of Money Skills for Therapists. I've helped hundreds of therapists just like you develop peace of mind about their money. I invite you to watch my free masterclass where I teach my four-step framework to get your business finances totally in order. In the masterclass, I cover the three biggest mistakes that therapists make that keep them from getting clarity on their private practice finances, the secret that most accountants don't want you to know, and why working with your mindset and emotions is essential to changing your patterns with money. This masterclass is for therapists and health practitioners who are running or about to start a private practice. It is the first step in learning about my signature course, Money Skills for Therapists. Register today with the link in the show notes to take the first step to go from money confusion, anxiety, and shame to feeling clear and empowered about your money. I look forward to supporting you. Right, right. I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, there's this idea of like, if you knew you were the best in the world at what you did, how would you do it differently? And when I think about what would I charge? The number's not different. Like how I show up would be different. Like there's more confidence, all that kind of thing. But my fee is my fee because that's what I want and need. I'm not going to charge $2,000 a session just because I'm the best in the world. I'm not interested in that. Um, I'm also not going to charge 20 Welcome to the Money Skills for Therapists podcast, where we answer this question, how can therapists and health practitioners go from money shame and confusion to feeling calm and confident about their finances and get money really working for them in both their private practice and their lives? I'm your host, Lindsay Bonham, therapist turned money coach and creator of the course Money Skills for Therapists. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today's guest is Allison Pereer. I owe a lot of my own business success to Allison, um, and you'll hear us talk about that a little bit at the beginning of the episode, um, because Allison is a true rock star for helping people, first of all, launch and grow private practices, um, but secondly, she's done some Next Level program, um, which she actually called Next, which I took with her and Tiffany McLean several years ago, which launched me into uh, this business, uh, Money Nuts and Bolts. And my course, Money Stills for Therapists, came directly out of the work that I've done with Allison. I have huge respect for her. Um, she is such a rock star in the practice building space. And in our conversation today, we get into how she grew up working class. Uh, so if you grew up working class, Allison's got some great things to say about the transition between growing up working class and now, in her case, making really good money um, in the business that she's built that helps other therapists build their private practices. She has a really cool tip, something that you can do today. Uh, if you have a bunch of unspent gift cards sitting around, uh, Allison has some great advice for that. And then 
She also gets into something that we don't talk about a lot, which is the things that money doesn't fix or change. I think it's so easy for us to pin our total happiness to money and create a story of when my when I have this much money, uh, my life is going to look like this. And Allison has some really great things to say, a bit of a reality check, um, but also some positives around what money can do for you and what money can't. So here's Allison Pereer. Allison, thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. So glad to have you here with us today. Yeah. So Allison, um, I had, I want to say the pleasure, but the word is stronger than that. I had the serendipitous luck of coming into your world several years ago. And I say that because um, I honestly believe that like the the work that I did with you and with Tiffany McLean years ago when I took Next set me on the trajectory that I'm that I'm on mm-hmm. now. Yay. That's when that's when I met you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, when you offered that program, which I don't think you do anymore, um, helping therapists kind of with their next level offer. If their private practice is kind of done, what do you do next? And this is what I'm doing next. Um, it's money nuts and bolts. Mm-hmm. So that's how I met you years and years ago. Um, and a lot of the things that you talked about years ago have stuck in my head mm-hmm. um, in that time. And one of them I want to start with today. And that is, I remember you talking about, particularly, I remember you sharing that you make so much more money now than your father like ever did. Mm-hmm. Just the, the the contrast between, you know, your financial situation and what your parents were. So I'm curious for you, Allison, like how, how did growing up working class, how does that affect your relationship with money now? Oh, it's a good question. Um, well, I think there was a phase I felt really guilty for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I grew up in an interesting area because my family was working class. They like built this house in what was the boonies right outside of Atlanta and then became like McMansion land. And so Mm. I was always surrounded by people with wealth, but our little tiny starter neighborhood that I lived in until I went to college, um, was full of people who were not wealthy. Um, so I think there was a certain amount of, of jealousy I had growing up that I then to kind of protect myself, we're going to do a little therapy, um, to kind of protect myself, I had to go into like, well, rich people are jerks and they're totally like disconnected from the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that really came back to bite me when I not just like started my first private practice, but particularly when I started Abundance. Um, it was just really thrilling when I was doing my private practice, being able to make um, a really amazing living. And then when I moved to abundance and I was making more and more and more, there was a lot of guilt that my parents both worked their butts off. They are hardworking people. And to literally make as much in a minute and a half of work in recording a podcast ad as my dad made in a whole year, and he was the breadwinner, was a gut punch. Um, And so there was a period of time where I kind of... um, I didn't self-sabotage because I'm far too ambitious for that, but I um, <laughs> I questioned how I could sabotage. You know, I, I felt not sure. deserving of the kind of money I was making that like, yeah. you know, I'd watched my dad work his entire career at a, at a company he did not enjoy working for at a job he hated that contributed to anxiety, depression, things like that for him. Mm-hmm. Never like once, I don't think, considered quitting or moving on to something else, retired from that job and became a new man. Um, and so there was a part of me that was like, how come I get to not only enjoy what I'm doing, make a lot of money 
and feel really good about what I'm putting out into the world. Like it doesn't seem, Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem fair. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of therapists and health practitioners can relate on some level to that situation because, um, even, even in private practice, even before, you know, getting into the kind of situation that you're in where it's a more scaled business and you can, as you say, make these larger amounts because of the reach that you have, even in private practice, you know, like I think therapists come up against that when it's like, I can make $175 for sitting here for an hour. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, if you come from a family where, um, I know a lot of students coming through my course and probably your course too, like went through experiences where maybe there wasn't food in the house Mm -hmm. or there was fear of losing their house or there was money and then there wasn't money. Like when you've come from situations like that to suddenly be able to earn by doing something that you love, Mm -hmm. uh, is a real disconnect from where you come from. Right. And it's like a thrilling disconnect on one level. Like if we can just kind of like step into it ourselves, um, but then like, I have a really good relationship with my parents. I still, I like, I've mm-hmm. always had a good relationship. They're amazing parents. And so I think if I'd had a more contentious relationship, I might be a little bit like, ha huh. Um, but instead <laughs> <laughs> it's more like, you know, like I watched you guys work your butts off and mm-hmm. worry about money your entire lives. And mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about money now. And that also doesn't right. feel fair. Yeah. So I'm curious how does that look for you now? Is the guilt still there now? Like now a few years in, I, what does that look like for you today? I don't feel guilt anymore. Um, and it, it might be one of those things, you know, how sometimes we like teach what we need to learn. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. I probably <laughs> ended up talking to enough private practitioners who were feeling that guilt that like, if yes. all the things I was saying to them finally sunk into me. Um, mm-hmm. I think too, like my parents are, proud of me in a way that isn't like jealous or um, snarky in any way, shape or form. They're just kind Mm -hmm. of like amazed that Mm -hmm. so many great things are happening and I'm creating great things. And I think that that probably helps too. Um, Like my, my dad doesn't begrudge me a dime that I make. Right. So Mm -hmm. I think also being friends with Tiffany McLean always helps. (laughs) Because you can't just, like, be friends with Tiffany and not get in deep sometimes. Um, (laughs) um, And I think just surrounding myself with other people who have wealth and realizing, like, none of these people in my life are jerks. Like, I only hang out Mm -hmm. with great people because, like, why waste my time with other people? And a lot of them have wealth. Mm -hmm. And so it's, like, this challenge to my younger self around, like, I kind of had this um, idea that as you made more money, you became less human or less good. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And I've always been very um, concerned with being a good person. And mm-hmm. so to be able yes. to to see that like there's there's not a causal relationship there, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. it helps. Well, and the word good really sticks out to me when you say that there, Allison, because like this is my therapist brain going. A lot of ways too, I think good is connected with being small, Mm -hmm. especially for women, right? Like good from like a a trauma perspective is about being small, out of the way, not drawing attention to yourself, like passing under the radar, Mm -hmm. right? And I would say that um, you are not being good now in that sense. (laughs) You are taking up space. Mm -hmm. You are making an impact. You are being seen, right? Like you've changed probably thousands of practitioners lives at this point, I would Mm -hmm. guess. I know you've certainly changed mine. Um, And I did a short program with you. I haven't even done like all of your programs, right? So 
I'm curious about that, like that idea of good. I mean, I guess if we're not trying to be good, uh-huh. if we're not trying to be small, what can we try to be? Like, what's a more empowering narrative to aim for around money and the work that we're doing? So it's interesting. Yesterday I was talking with my team about like, if I, we were just like working on some copywriting examples for the people in my membership. Mm-hmm. And so I was like writing an about me to a different niche than I ha- that I have. Like it's the niche I would change to mm-hmm. if I was trying to change my practice. And it it is, you know, yeah. like many of our niches, like really me at a different stage of my life yes. of yes. Um, like <laughs> female identifier, woman identifying um, people who have been told throughout their life they're a little too much. And so they learn to tamp themselves down mm-hmm. and they're trying mm-hmm. to like relearn how to take up space and how to use their yes. voice and even just find their voice. Um, and I, I, honestly, like, I think this business has helped me find my voice in a way that nothing else could have no, no hours of therapy have, Mm -hmm. have done this. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think that like, I would encourage people to search themselves, not necessarily the stories they've been told about who they are or what they're worth. Like that would probably be my response there because, Mm -hmm. I think we know most of the stuff. Like we we learn tasks and techniques and things like that around our businesses. Um, and we mm-hmm. can, our views can get enlightened as we get more experience. But I think many of us, myself included historically, have looked to experts in how to do things. Yes. Um, and so mm-hmm. rather than like filling the role of that expert right this second, I want to tell people to like just be still and quiet, which I hate it when people say that to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but... <laughs> Just be, I know that's your favorite oh, thing, being still God, quiet. So I know that about bad you at it. <laughs> but it always, like, it always gives me great information. So I'm going to project and assume yeah. it'll do the same for others. Um, mm-hmm. But to be still and quiet and listen to what you know to be true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And And when you say that, it makes me think about kind of like stepping into like a more authentic version of yourself. Yeah. Like who you would be if you weren't trying to follow all the rules that have been put on you or all the stories that have been put on you, yeah. right? And part of that, I think part of when we do that, we often do start making more money mm-hmm. because we've like hit this like, um, I want to say the word vibration and I don't know why I want to say that because I'm not a vibration kind of human. Uh-huh. But it's like you, people feel uh-huh. that you're like really speaking from who you really are yeah. and that you're really grounded and that this is really real. Um, and they respond to that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and if you build your business in a way that you get paid for that expertise, um, you do start to make more money. Yeah. And in making more money, I would say the opposite of being good and small is you get to have impact mm-hmm. and you get to have power Yeah, and and make that money, make a difference in in your life, other people's life, your community, mm-hmm. right? You get to take up space. Yeah. I had a, um, yeah. a business coach once tell me like money is the power to do. And I've mm. held on to that because I'm like, mm. oh yeah, like that is a way to take up space. Yes. And yeah, sure. It can be wielded for evil, but it absolutely mm-hmm. can be used for good. And yes. when you have more of it, there's more good you can do if that's how you're choosing to use it. Mm-hmm. And so it's, yeah. um, yeah, the taking up space thing. I'm real into it right now because I realized like even where I was back when we worked together, I think was still a quieter, yeah. nicer version of myself than yes. I am today. Yes. Um, and that's just the, the, the beauty of the uh, the thing business does to you, right? Like it, it 
put you through yes. the fire. <laughs> yes, I am on the same road. I am further behind you by a lot, but I have noticed the same thing. Like you have to, you have to show up. You have to put yourself out there. You have to say things and then be like, oh, that was not quite what I meant. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, you, you need to really like um, put yourself out there mm-hmm. in this consistently over and over and over. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious for you then, Allison, like, Coming, coming from that working class background where you didn't have a lot of money, I'm wondering, are there any kind of like little leftover habits that you notice that tell you that some of that maybe scarcity is still there? So there's a habit that I, I held on to. I'm a natural saver. Um, I have mm. been throughout my life. I feel much safer with a nice, healthy savings account. Um, and the second it dips below whatever number it has climbed to that month, I start getting terrified that like everything's going to fall apart. So um, to that end, I was also a saver of gift cards. Mm-hmm. And anytime I got a gift card, I would like stash it in either my wallet or this particular drawer and not touch it. It's saving it for a rainy day. Which mm. we just went through a pandemic. If that wasn't a rainy day, I don't know what the <laughs> F was. <laughs> so true story. Um, one of the things I actually have um, in the inner circle when we talk about money is I I implore those of us who are gift card savers, mm-hmm. spend them all in the next week. Like cash Ooh. all those puppies in, see what happens. Um, right. It's kind of terrifying when yeah. at least it was for me um, to mm-hmm. feel, I mean, cause it was almost like they were like a savings account, but like, I don't need a savings account to bed, bath and beyond. Like <laughs> you do it's not, really no. fine. <laughs> I don't even think that yeah. massage therapist lives in town anymore. Like spend it and get in. If it's, if it's hard for you to spend money, which it used to be really hard for me to spend money um, mm-hmm. to just make sure that you have a rule for yourself, that if you get a gift card for any reason, those of us who have a hard time spending money, I, I have a theory that we get a lot more gift cards. Um, that's another thing, but um, <laughs> spend that thing within two weeks um, so that you can mm, have the experience yes. of like flow financially. Mm. Like it comes in, it's okay for it to go out too. Um, I think about Carrie Nola and she'll say, thanks, more please. (laughs) She spins. (laughs) I love that. Um, Yes. So yeah. 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 And I I love that you bring this up because something that I, I see a lot in, in my course, in Money Skills for Therapists, is people come in, a lot of people come in who are spenders. Mm-hmm. And spenders, they know they're not supposed to be spenders. Right, right. Like, we come in with the shame of, like, I don't know how to hold on to money. It just goes away. I don't know where it goes. Like, that's something that's kind of, like, I have a bunch of credit card debt. There's, like, obvious indicators there that your relationship with money is not in balance. Uh-huh. But I also get students who are more on your side of things who I would, you know, call hoarders. Uh-huh. And hoarders don't necessarily get called out right. for their relationship with money because there is this narrative, which is probably more of like a working class. I know certainly in my family coming from like a farming background where there was not money, mm-hmm. hoarding was kind of like what you did because right. you didn't know if next season was going to be a good season and nothing was kind of to be relied on, mm-hmm. right? But in our practices, um, when we can keep seeing you know, clients, money is going to come. Mm-hmm. Money is going to come in the work that we do. Hoarding has its own kind of pain yeah. associated with it. And I'm curious if if you would be open to telling us a little bit more about, for you, like what the experience is. What is, what is that that happens yeah. when you're just like holding on to money? So for me, I think of it um, 
kind of like, so I'm an eating disorder therapist, right? Um, and I'm somebody who has recovered from an eating disorder. And so I think mm-hmm. about like the number going up for the number that feels safe. Like when you're hoarding, mm-hmm. it just keeps going up, right? And how that is so similar to someone wanting to lose weight and how particularly with folks with anorexia, but not exclusively, um, that mm-hmm. number going down, like there's no basement number that's going to be good enough. Just like there's no no amount of money that I can save that's ever going to be enough enough. Um, Mm -hmm. So for me, the hoarding money historically has felt um, almost, I'm honestly almost a little manic. Like when I got pregnant with my first Mm -hmm. and my husband was working, I was the only, or was in school. I was the only one working and the baby was going to be born before he was out of school. And I was like, well, if I want to take a maternity leave, which I think I probably should, um, I'm going to have to save. And I saved almost manically, like every dime, every bit of me that is good at saving just leaned right in. But it was not a peaceful or a um, measured experience. It was very much like I need more and more and more and more. And I saved. Yes. Oh God, Lindsay, I saved so much money for that maternity leave, thus stressing myself out the entire pregnancy, way more than I have ever spent in a three month span of time in my entire life. Even now when I make much more money, like there's no, yes, it was ridiculous. So Mm -hmm. yeah, because there's, there's a belief there, um, as you say, that there's never enough. Yeah. There's never enough. Like when you're coming from that place, Mm -hmm. nothing will satisfy you. There's no, it sounds like in that case, there was no number you would have hit to be like, Oh, okay. My maternity right. fund is full. Right. Now I'm going to relax some more or I'm going to like put some money these other places. It was like insatiable right. need to save. Absolutely. And I think yeah. like, yeah. I don't know how much of that is just my personality. Like there's never enough of anything. Mm-hmm. Like you can give me praise, but it's still mm-hmm. like a, an endless hole where I would love some more. You know, you can do the same <laughs> with me with money. Yes. Like I'm just kind of like yes. a deep well. Um, and I know that about myself. Mm-hmm. And I also know that like, none of what anybody tells me and none of what I get paid actually fills it. Um, like none of that's actually mm-hmm. all that important yes. as long as yes. I'm taking care of myself. So being really mm-hmm. clear about those aspects of my personality, whether or not they came from just temperament or growing up working class. Um, I mean, I do think a lot of my money hoarding historically was about being working class. And I think a lot of sure. my, um, yeah. I still, even though I I would definitely be considered wealthy at this point, I'm still very impressed with wealth. Um, Mm -hmm. Like when I go to a friend's house and they live like in a really nice house, I'm like almost like, oh my gosh. You know, when it's like, it's a house, it's fine. It's like some wood and some like steel and some, you know, like quartz or something. I don't know. Um, (laughs) Quartz, yeah, of course there's quartz, yeah. (laughs) Or marble sometimes. Like, yeah, it's some nice materials that, that... they live in. And sometimes I almost fetishize it a little and I have to really pull Mm -hmm. myself back from that. Um, I have a recent experience of, of making some other friends with wealth. A lot of them have generational wealth and that's Mm, been a really, um, it's pulled up a lot of my stuff because most of my life, the people I knew with generational wealth, which was kind of like my earlier years through, you know, middle or high school. Um, and then I was with kids in my SES until recently, um, there was this sense of like, um, they're better than me that Mm -hmm. I was walking around with that, um, Mm -hmm. I didn't realize was still lurking and still until I started making these other friends. And so it's been an interesting step back to be like, good for them. 
that they have generational wealth. Like it means literally nothing about them as people. And I like, I love these women. I love these families. They're great human beings. That's what matters. Um, And I'm not less than, and I'm not better than. Like the money piece means freaking nothing. Um, Yeah. It really doesn't mean anything, but my brain keeps trying to make it mean something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's um, as we kind of, grow, right? It, it digs up different layers mm-hmm. of, of our stuff. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. That's it's one of the lovely things about growth is there's all this new pain right. that comes up <laughs> at every level. <laughs> and something that sticks out to me in what you're saying too, is what I so appreciate about what you're saying is like, you have the self-knowledge to know that like this thing about me is actually something that money can't fix. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Cause I think that's something about money, especially when we don't have money. Um, there's always this fantasy of like, oh, well, when I have more, then I'm this will be fine. Right. Or when I have more, then I'm going to feel good enough. Or then my anxiety will go away and I'll feel calm, right? And and sometimes there are actually material um, needs that are not being met that money does meet. For sure. And I absolutely believe that. Like money is real. It means that you can have like a house over your head, food that is good food, that's like healthy for your body. There are real things. But then there's beyond a point where money doesn't actually make your life that much better anymore. Right. And I think the issues that are there at that point are more like mental health, spiritual, like human existential issues Mm -hmm. that money doesn't actually change. Absolutely. And I think part of that is just the way that I've been thus far in my life. Um, It's never like, well, let's now at this point, I'm like, well, we have enough in savings, Um, like enough, enough. Like my husband is like, enough, really? (laughs) Um, (laughs) But like, I'm like, well, what do we want to do with this money? And then I create a bunch of work for myself ultimately. Um, That like, I could have maybe gone on a vacation or something like that. But instead I'm like, well, let's, let's save this money for an investment in blah, blah, blah. Um, So it's, it's not as if it's creating an easier life for me outside of like being Mm -hmm. able to pay all my bills without worrying about it. But it's, Yeah, it's like I'm I'm still going to be me in the face of whatever my bank account right. says. And I'm yes. always going to yes. overcomplicate things and I'm going to like, you know, like <laughs> hold on to my security and who I am and the confidence that I have mm-hmm. in who I am, but I'm still going to have these little like divots where old stuff yes. creeps in. Mhm. Yeah. And so like what I'm hearing is there's lots of things about your life that are different now, but you're still you at oh, the yeah. end of the day. Mm-hmm. Like the things that are like challenges for you or like your quirks or those, those are still there. Yeah, Those have not changed despite having money. Um, and I think that's helpful for therapists and health practitioners to hear because I, something that I notice a lot, and this is just a human thing, but I certainly see this with therapists and like business friends that I have is like, well, I'm just going to keep working until I get to this marker and then I'm going to relax mm-hmm. and hang out with my kids. Mm-hmm. Or I'm just going to keep working until I can get like a down payment and then I'm going to relax. And from an outside perspective, I don't think that's true. Right. I think like we kind of are who we are. And if we're not stopping to try to like change the things that we want to change now, there's not some magical point where we like reach a milestone with our bank account that we suddenly become somebody different. Right. Yeah. We're still going to be that person. And at that point, when you right. have been pushing that hard or working that much, like yes. you, it's kind of like you build a tolerance yes. for it. And I always, especially when we have really busy times at work, like if we're doing a launch or something, I have a hard time slowing back down. I feel like I'm, I feel like I've been pedaling up a really big hill as fast and as hard as I can. And now I'm going downhill, mm-hmm. but I'm still pedaling my legs for some reason. 
So <laughs> I always yes. have that image where right. I'm like, it's downhill, Allison. You can just mm-hmm. like <laughs> take a pause. Stop pedaling. Yeah. Just stop pedaling. <laughs> yeah. And that's true. Cause we do kind of train ourselves to have a certain pace or a certain, there's certain things in our lives that we're going to like ignore and close off because we don't have bandwidth because right. we're focused on this project. Yeah. And it's hard to just switch gears out of that. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, I know I certainly teach in, in my course, and I think you do in your course too, like how do you actually build a practice that makes your life look the way that you want it yeah. to look? Um, because life is happening like now. Right. Here we it's, are. <laughs> it's not someday in the future where you hit a milestone and then your life starts and then you start, you know, like doing whatever you want to do, like taking that painting class or spending more time with your kids or like traveling overseas to see your family. Mm-hmm. Like those those things, you know, that's, that's for now. Yeah. Um, not for some magical future. Yeah. So um, something that I wanted to ask you about too, Allison, is you and I have a lot of overlap in terms of uh, helping therapists with fees, mm-hmm. right? Like we work with therapists and, you know, who are new to private practice or in my case, who have maybe been in private practice for a little bit and start to do like real math with real numbers and realize like, oh, there's there's a fee that I need to charge that is far from where I am. Uh-huh. Um, and so I'm wondering for you, like in terms of the usual kind of like narratives that there are around setting fees, What's something that like really gets your goat that you want to set the record straight? Yeah. So there's this, um, there's this dichotomy that really bothers me. And I think both of them are wrong. Um, one of them is charge what you're worth. And the other one is like that basically if you're charging a premium fee, you're clearly, um, like you don't care about people and you're just in it for the money. Um, and I find that these two, um, whatever side of this you're on, they're usually coming from not a whole lot of depth of thought about Mm. it. Um, So like maybe Mm. pieces of that could be true of each of them, but um, Mm. like the charge which you're worth gets me because like, okay, let's take an example of like your average listener, right? Um, They are going in and they're seeing clients and over the period of time that they are working with this client, this client's relationships improve their job performance improves, they're feeling more steady and stable in themselves. They feel like they can accomplish far more than they ever imagined that they could. Um, They're able to be more loving and generous with everyone around them, right? Uh, You can't put a number on that. Mm -hmm. There's like literally no number you can put on that. You know, like Mm -hmm. it's too formative. It's too life-changing. Like there's no, you don't pay for that, you know? (laughs) So like this idea of charging what we're worth, which I hear therapists Mm -hmm. say a lot, like how in the, okay, well like $6 million, you know, like what are you worth, Lindsay? You know, like there's not a number, there's not a number for that. And so I find that people who are feeling empowered around setting fees will often say that of like, yeah, girls, like charge what you're worth to encourage one another. Um, and I appreciate that they're, um, often trying to lift up other folks, trying to lift up folks in our, in our fields, Sure. but it's, it's, um, it's not accurate. Yeah. Like, I think the best we can do is figure out what we need to live the lives that we want to live and to make this a sustainable career, do the math for that. And boom, there's your fee. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I think that like a lot of like online marketers like us will sometimes talk about like charging your worth. Um, or, like ch- if you're doing a course, like charge based on the outcome. But like, mm-hmm. if you told me like 
All your relationships are going to get better. You're going to become confident. You're no longer going to be weighed down by the things that are weighing you down, at least not to this extent. There's no Mm -hmm. amount of money I wouldn't give you. Yes, seriously. You know, like whatever I have. All the triggers that you have will be gone and you'll be able to like just be calm in the face. Yeah. Yeah. So we can't like (laughs) that, that model doesn't work for us. Um, and like on the, the other side of this spectrum are the people who are like, basically like you should be working for pennies on the dollar. If you're really a therapist and you're in it for the right reasons, whatever the the right reasons are, Mm -hmm. um, like you should be sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get a little martyry up in here. Um, but this idea that you should not be charging your clients, uh, a premium Mm -hmm. fee or like whatever fee you happen to come up with when you do the math. And gosh, if that's the yes. case, like I had, I mean, I had somebody comment, I said something about that and I had somebody comment, I'm like, oh my gosh, are you actually arguing for more expensive therapy? Like you're ridiculous. And I was like, well, maybe I am. If it means that the mm-hmm. therapist gets to retire and they, you know, yes. can set up a college yes. fund for their kid and they can take a vacation however many times a year they need. Which are, like, not exorbitant things. No. Like, that's not a wild thing to be able to retire. Right, right. I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, there's this idea of, like, if you knew you were the best in the world at what you did, how would you do it differently? Mm-hmm. And when I think mm-hmm. about what would I charge, the number's not different. Mm-hmm. Like, how I show up would mm-hmm. be different. Like, there's more confidence. Sure. All that kind of thing. Yes. But my fee is my fee because that's what I want and need. I'm not going to charge $2,000 a session just because I'm the best in the world. I'm not interested in that. Um, mm-hmm. I'm also not going to charge 20 Yes. Yes. And I love what you're saying about like grounding it in numbers. Of course, you're like speaking to my heart right now. Um, because, yeah, I think like it's easy to kind of um, move into this also like pie in the sky. Like there's lots of guidelines on how to set your fee. Some of it is like set the number that you want and then go higher, like mm-hmm. scare yourself. And like, those are all interesting. I think like mindset exercises to do and like ways to challenge yourself. But like, ultimately there is a real number right. for you. Yeah. It's math. Um, based on like <laughs> your, yeah, it's math. It's math. <laughs> it's like based on your retirement goals. Like how many kids do you want to send to school? What's your mortgage? Like, do, do you want to do some home improvements? Like it's, mm-hmm. it, there are real numbers in your life. And that's the beautiful thing about, having the skills to work with them is like, you can reverse engineer your practice to fund your life. hundred percent. And part of that is for me, I know this is hugely important. How many sessions can you actually work a week and like be a functional human who yeah. enjoys their life yes. and has like relationships? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. most of because us have been in that me, That number's lower. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm more on like the HSP light side of things. So like for so many years, I was kind of feeling like I wasn't seeing enough clients mm-hmm. Um, but like, I knew my number, right. Right. And so that's part of the equation too. Right. It's like based on where you want to be and how many people you can see a week and how much vacation time, there's a real number, um, that, that would be the fee that would actually make your practice sustainable. Right. And your niche determines some of that too, right? Like you worked with trauma for a really long time. I did. That is a heavy, hard niche and it's going to take more out of you. Um, no matter yes. how well-trained you are, um, yeah. that's going to be, it's going to be harder for the vast majority of clinicians than, um, you know, like the, the 20 something woman who looks like she has everything on paper, but maybe doesn't and feels insecure, mm-hmm. Yes, you know, like I could do way more niche. of those yes. second sessions than the first. Yes. So absolutely. And we love yes. who we As love a- work-wise, you know, like that's it. So yes, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I do think that, um, you know, something about therapists, um, mental health therapists, like I also work with health practitioners, but specifically mental health therapists, we also, as you say, tend to go into work because it's maybe the work that we need or have needed at a certain point in our life, which I think also makes us vulnerable to undercharging yes. or not holding our boundaries uh-huh. because there's a vulnerability there, right? Like we, we have some personal investment with our clients right. or there are things about the work that are also triggering for uh-huh. us because like we have close lived experience. And so I think also having awareness of, of that, uh-huh. right. Of not kind of um, uh, continuing a self-sacrificing pattern or like being sucked into whatever that dynamic is in your practice. Cause that's easy to do too, mm-hmm. because you get the the how important the work you're doing is. Yeah. And you relate to your clients and you understand where they're coming from. Right. But you can't live in that space with them mm-hmm. and also be self-sacrificing and not well. That doesn't make for good therapy right. in the long run. Right. Yeah. So um, I'm wondering, coming, you know, to the end of our chat today, Allison, as someone who's, you know, kind of had some transformative experience around finances yourself certainly like where you've come from and where you are very different places. I'm wondering what would be some advice that you would give someone who wants to improve their relationship with their finances? I think (laughs) to expect it to be a trauma experience. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think for most of us, like I would say, most of us who have unhealthy relationships with money or or questionable relationships with money, and I'm going to say this is the vast majority of therapists too. True story. Um, we'd love to just like check some boxes and do some things differently, but it's it's funny because I'll be talking to one of my clients about like raising their fee, and I'm like, "What's holding you back?" And they're like, "Oh no, I just wanted to be really sure about the number. Now that I'm now that I'm sure about the number, I can do it." And then like a week mm-hmm. later, it's like. How's that going? <laughs> like, I didn't do it. <laughs> I know. I know. Because it's never just about the simple act. It's no. never just behaviorism. Um, there's all this stuff underneath that like 0% of us really love to delve into. And just like any trauma work, it gets a little worse before it gets better sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then it gets way better. And like, yeah, I've got money stuff. It's still going to pop up in these like secret ways. Like I feel like I've got it, uh, you know, like pinned down work-wise and like home-wise. But then it like starts popping up with new friends of like, ooh, like what am I doing here? So it's like playing whack-a-mole to some extent. Um, And okay, so it's whack-a-mole. I've got my mallet. We're good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Yeah, and I I completely agree with you. Um, And I see that all all the time that like those stories and that stuff it's going to be there and it's there and like owning it and working with it is transformative and the key is like don't let it get in the way of actually making money work for you right yeah right so that stuff might still be there you you still have new stuff coming up now but you're like working with it and aware of it so it's not stopping you from like making those new friends and it's not stopping you from like doing that next launch where you're going to make more money than you've made before and that's maybe going to be uncomfortable Mm -hmm. Right, you're still letting yourself develop the skills and like live and make money work for you, um, even though you don't have this like idyllic, perfect, serene relationship with. Me. Right, I've literally met one person with that, so. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's most of us. Yes. It's certainly not me, and it's okay. Highly in common. You know, like it's yes. there are lots of things I don't have completely like placid relationships with, mm-hmm. um, and 
that's part of what makes for the complexity of life that makes it so interesting and enjoyable. It's just part of being human. Yeah. 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 Right. So Allison, um, if people want to hear more from you, if for some strange reason they don't already know about you, (laughs) um, where could they find some free resources to like get into your world? Yeah. So if you want to go, or I should actually say, what are your free resources? Because we're going to put the link in the show Uh notes. So you don't need to read out a URL right now. But what are some of the free resources or what do you have right now to help people get started? We have so much and we just put it all under one link. So you guys will have the link to all of it, but we've got like a free checklist for those who are getting started. My guess is most of your people have already gotten started. um, Not necessarily. Okay. Okay. No. Yeah. And so we have the really proactive ones who are doing money while they're starting. Oh, I love that. Don't you wish you'd had that? I wish I had that. I'm so glad they're with you. (laughs) Um, So we've got that. And then we have, um, how to basically like a webinar, free webinar about how to get more clients in without being like not yourself, without being salesy and without spending a ton of money. Um, we've got the podcast. We have the free Facebook group. We've got a ton. So yeah. You got it all. <laughs> nice. And what, uh, if people were going to pick a social media channel to follow you, where should they follow Ooh, you? Today I'm going to say Instagram. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And what's your handle on Instagram? Uh, abundance underscore practice underscore building because Beautiful. I like a lot of letters. <laughs> Something I noticed about therapists is we're not succinct. No. That's not what we no. do. No. I, I wish I was more <laughs> succinct for sure. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Allison. It's been great talking with you today. And all of the links that Allison just mentioned are in the show notes below. Thanks so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Allison. Speaking with Allison is always, uh, inspiring because she, as I said at the beginning, is such a rock star. Um, She has built so many pieces to her business to help private practice therapists have success um, and has managed to really get money flowing in her life through doing that as well. Uh, But it's also like a good reality check too um, of those fantasies that we can have about uh, what it feels like <laughs> to be running a really like a, a six figure uh, or probably a seven figure business in Allison's case. Um, so really illuminating conversation with Allison today. I so appreciated that. If you want to hear more from me, you can follow us at Money Nuts and Bolts on Instagram. And if you're ready to take those steps to really get money working for you in your practice and get money doing for you in your practice and your life, what money can do then you can join the waitlist for my course, Money Skills for Therapists. We only open the course at certain times. So if you want to hear about the next time Money Skills for Therapists opens, get on our waitlist. It is a three-month course with coaching and community support where we walk you through step-by-step in these digestible little pieces, how to go from that money confusion and shame and avoidance into really getting money working for you in your private practice and even going towards some of those bigger, more important goals that do make a difference in your life. So you can check out the link in our show notes uh, to get on the waitlist for Money Skills for Therapists today.